Hello and welcome to the Society for Healthcare Strategy and Market Development's interview series on innovation and disruption. We're interviewing some of the leaders in our field that are bringing practical ideas that have immediate impact. We're going to be talking about topics such as the future of work, innovation and disruption, scaling change, and engaging patients and providers in new ways. We have a series of interviews and we hope that you enjoy them. My name is Craig Allen Ahrens and I'm your host. I'm a managing director with Anchor Consulting, and today we're interviewing Dr. Satsun Jain, who is president and CEO of CareMore Health, an innovative delivery model that focuses on low-income seniors and low-income populations. He has recently come to the stage as one of the most influential leaders in healthcare. In fact, Modern Healthcare re- recognized him as the 36th most influential person in healthcare today. He is a contributor at Forbes on healthcare. He is co-editor-in-chief of the Healthcare of the Science of Delivery and Innovation and an adjunct professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. So what do we hope to learn today? I hope that you as a listener learn about new innovative care delivery models that are disrupting markets. Learn about how rideshare can positively impact and position your healthcare institution in order to better serve patients. And I'm hoping that you'll learn about ways that you can be inspired by leaders such as Sachin to take ideas and ideas that are not the norm for healthcare and apply them in a practical way. So I hope you enjoy the show. So I'm president and CEO of the Caremore uh, Health System. Um, we're a, a wholly owned subsidiary of Anthem Incorporated. We sit within uh, what's called the Diversified Business Group, which is uh, really the non-health plan businesses of, of Anthem. Um, uh, Caremore did have a health plan until recently, but we've we've pivoted and we're recasting Caremore now as a um, fully delegated medical provider um, that really focuses on frail and vulnerable populations and high cost, high need patients um, in particular. Um, So we have our our roots are really in senior care. Uh, We take care of about 90,000 seniors nationwide. Um, And then we also uh, over the last several years have diversified uh, to take care of um, about 60,000 Medicaid beneficiaries in uh, what is now a six state footprint. Um, 10 in, in total, including our Medicare uh, delivery model. I um, uh, came to care more um, really uh, because there's a, there's a real paucity of healthcare organizations that are um, trying to um, really segment uh, and uh, take care of sick patients differently. And as a, as a clinician, that was something that I always thought was important is, um, is that we need to apply different levels of intensity of clinical service to patients who had more intense needs. And, you know, the traditional American healthcare model really treats everyone the same way. Um, You know, all patients get a 15-minute appointment, whether they need an hour-long appointment or a five-minute appointment. And that just felt wrong. And um, CareMore, throughout its 25-year history, has been a leader in really sub-segmenting populations and really doing more for patients who need more. Um, And so I was very attracted to that. Um, and actually, you know, left a, a position at Merck Incorporated as well as um, the Boston VA, where I was a practicing internist, um, to join CareMore first as its chief medical officer, and then um, was promoted to uh, be president and CEO um, a year later in 2016. 
And, and CareMore's model, um, you know, it focuses on targeted populations, whether it's senior or, or Medicaid. So, so there are two very different populations. Even within the senior population, you can even segment and try it that, that population even more uh, discreetly, probably. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you do that in the sense either from a data perspective, a care model perspective? Um, how, how do you make it work and, and how yeah, do you provide so value? It's a great question. I think one of the uh, big sort of challenges in our industry is I think we tend to think about high cost, high need patients like they're a fixed category of, of people. Um, the reality is, is that everyone who is healthy today will at some point in their life likely become a high-cost, high-need patient. And so, um, you know, when we say we're a high-cost, high-need patient you know, model, um, it doesn't mean that we exclusively take care of high-cost, high-need patients. It means that we actually take care of a full range of people. Um, but then as people's needs escalate, as the burden of chronic disease grows within a patient or a population of patients, that we ramp up the you know, service intensity to match the needs of the patient. And so we both focus on delaying and slowing progression of chronic disease, um, as well as you know, more effectively managing acute episodes um, when they happen. And so um, we actually have a model that, um, you know, that uh, embraces patients with a, an additional set of clinical services, additional layer of clinical services, above and beyond kind of the traditional um, services, which they also have access to, primary care docs, specialists, hospitals. Um, we, we actually have uh, chronic disease management care centers that are located um, in neighborhoods where patients live, as well as extensivist physicians who are embedded within the hospitals that we contract with and ensure a higher level of coordination of care um, in the inpatient setting, in, in the SNF setting, as well as in post-discharge follow-up. And so, um, you know, what we're really trying to do is fill some of the gaps that in coordination that really happen across um, the, the continuum of patient care, which in the, in, in the process lowers the admission rate, lowers readmission rates, and, you know, uh, really takes a lot of cost out of acute hospitalizations for patients and for populations. Okay. So, so um, it's, it's not only on the front end in terms of the clinic kind of interaction and, and managing that relationship at the front end, but it's also the transitions of care that you spoke to um, in, in ensuring that they get the appropriate care at the right time and right place. It sounds like I'm summarizing correctly. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, and then you know the other piece of it, you know, I think everyone today is talking about social determinants of health. We were, you know, focused on that as an organization, as uh, you know, as long as we've been around, um, you know, which is 25 years, we've always provided transportation to our members to get to and from their appointments. Um, we think that's a huge barrier for patients with chronic disease to actually accessing uh, their care. Um, we've, we've innovated over the last several years to focus on things like senior loneliness. We have a, um, a chief togetherness officer who operates a program that focuses on outreaching to our most um, lonely and socially isolated members. Um, we provide post-discharge meals to patients who um, have been hospitalized but um, may not have appropriate foods uh, or access to food uh, in their home settings. So there's, there's quite a bit of, I, I think, innovation that's happening around the margins, not just of, of clinical care, but also of um, the, the delivery models. Right. So let, let's talk about that, because you, you recently uh, co-authored uh, an article on transportation. Um, tell us about that and what makes that so unique in terms of its findings compared to other systems of deliveries of care and how it impacted the service to your population. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we were the first, um, you know, health plan in the country to partner with Lyft um, or Uber um, around uh, using ride sharing to facilitate patient transportation. Um, and we initially did it in a pilot, the results of which were published in JAMA, um, and subsequently um, have extended it to serve most of our patient population in partnership with, with Lyft as well as ALC, which is a broker that uh, we, we partner with as well. Um, what we were able to demonstrate was, you know, improved quality, better on-time performance, um, reduced wait times, um, all the kinds of metrics, and, and improved, you know, member and patient satisfaction. Um, you know, for all the reasons you might expect, uh, you know, the reasons that people like Uber and Lyft more than, more than, uh, you know, traditional taxi and transportation services, um, really translate nicely into a healthcare setting. The service qualities are better. Um, you know, rides typically come from people who are um, you know, close by to you, and so that you don't necessarily have to wait for, uh, you know, long periods of time for, for a driver. There's a greater transparency of performance, greater transparency of, of um, uh, kind of arrival and, and uh, departure times. So it's been, you know, it's been a, a big success. I think, you know, we're not resting on our laurels. Um, we're now, you know, kind of working to actually build our own member-facing app right now. Um, you, you know, rides are, are actually requested in a very senior-centered way through a central dispatch team that we have here at, at Caremore. Um, but what we're doing is trying to put more power into the palms of uh, patients and actually build a, um, you know, My Caremore Ride app that they'll then be able to use um, to uh, come to and from their appointments. That's fantastic. And, you know, a, a lot of uh, organizations I work with, there, there's often a lot of barriers that are brought up in terms of the relationship of Lyft or Uber in terms of using that as a service. I, I, I suppose you, you, you encounter the same barriers, you know, in terms of, oh, we can't do that because of X, Y, Z, or what what happens if this happens, or, you know, with the patient and an episode of care happens inside the car. How, how did you overcome those sort of preconceptions and kind of the, what, I, what I call the healthcare kind of initial resistance to anything outside of a more traditional model? Of a relationship. Yeah, and I think that's a huge. I think it's a huge problem that we actually have um, within our industry. I think you know there is a uh, a bias towards conservatism, a bias towards you know uh, you know kind of resisting um, new and innovative solutions and, and approaches. And so um, you know, I, I I think you know a lot of this is cultural, and you know these things either happen or don't because organizations make a decision that they want to you know make them happen or not. So that's 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 kind of my view of it. Okay, well, well said, and, and I think you're right. Um, culture does tend to breed innovation versus not. And so, uh, the provider side of the equation, you know, your care delivery model, um, you know, access is key, and no matter who you talk to in terms of caring for patients, they want to be seen and they want to be um, treated and, and cared for in, in, in a way that. That a lot of healthcare systems aren't meeting right now, or, or our plans aren't meeting for their members. Tell me how you enhance that provider model and provide access, and what makes care more differently, uh, more different, excuse me, for for taking care of their patients. So how do you make what, what's the care more different? I mean, a lot of it is the culture. Uh, you know, I would say, and you know, it, it, people don't talk about this because you know everyone says we care about our patients, but when you know. When you have a name like Caremore, you have a lot to live up to, um, and uh, you know 
we so I would say that this is an organization that really did put patients before profit. This is an organization that still to this day makes decisions that go against our bottom line but are the right things to do for patients. Um, and I think that that sort of true north ends up changing how you think about just about everything. It's why we do invest in things that others would, you know, look at as a cost center um, and, uh, and uh, you know, on, on the face on face value. So I think that there's um, the, the care more difference is decidedly a, a culture that is, is very pro-patient. Okay. And when you say pro-patient, so, I mean, your staffing model is heavier or do you um, have like a different kind of technology tool set? We're a spend-to-save model um, okay. because we're fully at risk for all of our expenses. Right. You know, we, we, we are fully delegated for risk for the entire cost of taking care of these patients. We will make investments that um, have longer-term returns. The average Caremore patient is with Caremore for seven to nine years, and that gives us uh, a lot of flexibility to make longer-term investments that that people don't usually make in their patients because they're they're paid on a fee-for-service basis. Um, we're paid on you know globally capitated payment. That global capitation payment gives us you know very strong incentive to do right not you know by the patients not just what's you know right for them for today or tomorrow or next week or next month um but also you know you know frankly what's right for them for their entire lives right and so that being said you need a strong understanding of in relationship the patient not only that relationship and front end part but also the data that supports it technologically and and from a well seg you said it at the beginning segmentation perspective what tools and data do you use to more effectively manage that relationship over the long term, whether it's consumer lifestyle data or what have you? And you mentioned social determinants. That's kind of like the buzzword right now, but it's really um, – in yeah, it's, tell, it's, it's tell really, me if I'm wrong. Yeah. No, I mean, people, use a, people talk a lot about data um, because they don't actually touch patients, and so they're trying right. to infer things, about, infer things about them that they could actually know if they just asked. Um, right. And so, and so, you know, a lot of, you know, our opportunities come from just listening to our patients and knowing our patients. Um, that makes that makes that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. So, so a good example of that is our loneliness intervention. So, you know, a lot of people would say, well, how would you, you know, use data sets to identify whether patients are lonely or socially isolated, and you know, can you reg- run a regression of their, you know, attendance at medical office visits against their total medical spend. I mean, you could do a lot of things to find out who's lonely and socially isolated, but you're never going to do as well as just asking the patient, you know, right. do you have anyone in your life that cares about you that you talk to on a regular basis? Um, that turns out to be a very good question to identify whether people actually have social social connections. Um and so, again, I think that's the power of being an organization that's both, you know, that, that's that's highly clinical in nature. And so, you know, we've spoken a lot about senior care. You know, a lot of our questions are kind of skirted around that, but we haven't transitioned over into more of the Medicaid segment of the population and its unique issues. Um, and in my experience traveling and working with clients, a lot of Medicaid care is done by academic medical centers, in particular with training relationships which is needed in, you know, in order to advance medicine across the country and have new, new trainees learn. But it's not always the most ideal setting. So 
How is it that that you manage that population? Is it similar to your approach of senior care, but nuanced? Can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, what I'll say is, um, you know, these are not these. You know, these are people. They're not you know training opportunities. Um, yeah. Exactly. You know, so we, we we treat them you know with the dignity and respect that they deserve. We hire the best and the brightest. Um, we give them enough time and resources and so, and support to to take care of the patient and um, and really you know try to give them access to the same kind of clinical quality and clinical experience that um, that you and I would like. And um, you know we open our clinics you know from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. six days a week. Those are the kinds of things. You know that I think this population responds to, um, and uh, you know, and what, what we've been able to demonstrate is you know better outcomes when you actually make high-quality care available. Um, I think you know one of the, the biggest problems that we have is we do have a bit of a caste system in American healthcare where different people, depending on their insurance status, get different quality providers. Um, that's something that we are you know really working to to, to rectify. And, um, you know, we just published our, our results um, in the Harvard Business Review blogs um, from our Medicaid pilot, and we've shown, you know, lower hospitalization rates, um, you know, uh, better quality scores. Those are the kinds of things I think that ultimately make a difference. And, um, you know, patients who have, happen to have a different insurance status shouldn't have, you know, uh, you know access to worse quality care. I'm so glad you said that, and I, I maybe I framed it and purposely teed you up to hit that, but, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, that it does seem to be almost a caste system, and there needs to be more of a proactive approach that you're talking about. Um, so I, I, I know that everybody appreciates that very much, and thank you for mentioning that. Now, the, those non-social factors that, that relate to the care, you mentioned transportation. What are some of the other, you mentioned loneliness. You mentioned food. Housing and other economic needs have a direct impact disproportionately on health care. How are you addressing those other very, you know, societal-driven issues without using the word socially determinant? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a slippery slope. I mean, I think there's a slippery slope. I think we have to, we have to kind, of, kind of look at the whole patient. But, you know, the health care system is not like – is not all things, right? And right. so I think we we really run into, I think, a huge challenge here where I think um, we can't be all things to all people, but at the same time, all things matter. And so where I think the opportunities really lie is in healthcare being a front door to other types of social support vehicles. Um, so, you know, could the local housing agency have a connection to the healthcare system? Absolutely. Um, but should the housing should the healthcare agency be the housing agency? I don't right. think so. Um, and and we've we have enough trouble within healthcare, you know, driving patient safety, improving quality, driving affordability, that I don't think we should be you know in the business of suddenly take on the business of providing housing, because I don't think we're good at the business that we that we have right now as it is. Well said. Now, we're coming up on five minutes before the end of our time. Um, what are the things that we didn't discuss that, that are top of mind on your end that you think you want to share around care more, just the healthcare system in general, for executive leaders from your perspective in healthcare? 
One more time, what was the? So we have five more minutes left. Are there any general thoughts or things that we missed during the course of our discussion that you'd like to touch upon to share with our audience around the healthcare industry yeah, in general, think, innovation, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I think we just need more courage. Um, I, you know, I think the problem, you know, you alluded to it earlier in the conversation around the slow speed and the resistance, um, you know, there's a focus on preserving the status quo that really, um, I think, needs to needs to change. Um, I think we need to be progressive as an industry. Um, we need to be early adopters, not late adopters of new technologies and innovation. And you know, that's about people and leadership, nothing else. So um, I would just you know encourage folks to um, to think about how they can exercise more courage in their everyday lives. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Please feel free to share your comments at craig.arens, that's A-H-R-E-N-S, at ankura, A-N-K-U-R-A, dot com.